Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. What's up, everybody? Welcome to another episode of TOJ Live. I'm your host, Stephen Russo, uh, back with a week two version of my first and ten. Last week, I thought, uh, honestly, went well. Hope you guys liked it. Uh, back for week two. Um, more of a, uh, a doom and gloom episode, obviously, uh, coming off of a, uh, a pretty upsetting loss, 30 to 10 at Dallas. But um, I'll start with my first, which is, uh, again, my big kind of overarching thought. Um, I thought for as much credit as we gave Robert Sala and the coaching staff following the Monday night win against the Bills, where everything obviously got torn to shreds as uh as Aaron Rodgers ruptured his Achilles so for them to get all the credit to to hold this team together and to come up with a comeback win um we we obviously give them a ton of kudos but I thought for this game in particular uh going down to Dallas and losing 30 to 10 I thought much of the blame was on them I really thought they were out coached uh really on offense and defense I can't say all three phases because I thought special teams played uh well especially considering the fake punt uh execution that that was great but uh really on the offensive and defensive side of the ball they were uh they were out coaching outclassed um I think the game plan overall on both sides was lackluster I, I really think when you look at the defensive side of the ball they didn't really have a plan to stop CD Lamb and you know they stayed kind of stubborn in their ways and CD Lamb was their best playmaker. And when you got Brandon Cooks out, you know that that's where Dallas is going to go. And it seemed like what Dallas did was just line up CD in the slot, knowing that DJ Reed, North Sauce Gardner would follow him there. And they just kept hitting him. And he kept making plays and kept killing the Jets on backbreaking third down conversions. And really the game plan for Dallas was to, again, to dink and dunk. I think you probably saw the the spot chart for Dak where he barely threw the ball downfield, but I want to say he only threw six or seven incompletions all day, which that you just can't sustain that as a defense. And I really thought from a, excuse me, from a defensive perspective, the game plan just wasn't great. And they didn't really have an answer for what Dallas's uh, best weapon was and should have been. CD is a great player. There's no question, but for him to get you for over 140 yards, um, really when there was no plan to counteract it was, uh, was surprising. On the offensive side of the ball, I think when you look at um, Dallas's game plan to get CD the ball, it just kind of aggravates you even more for our lack of attempting to do that. When you get 10 touches between Garrett Wilson, Brees Hall, and Dalvin Cook, I don't know how you expect to, to win a game like that. I think there are ways where you can kind of force feed those guys, specifically Garrett and Brees, and they didn't do that. They didn't attempt to do it. And I know, listen, everyone's got a plan to get punched in the mouth. And I think that kind of happened, but the game was still there to be had in the first half. And the Jets were, you know, kind of getting on a roll and you saw the momentum kind of start shifting there to where they could have kept it even. And it was only 18 to 10 at the half. And they were within, uh, you know, they had a puncher's chance to start the second half and it just, uh, the game just got away from them. So Again, the, the, the big, uh, the big thought here is really, um, I thought this was on the coaching staff. I think you can kind of tell Salah's frustration. Um, 
not post game, but uh, on the in the Monday presser. Um, and I, I just think uh, they have a lot of work to do to get better and, and to fix this uh, in a big week three matchup where New England's coming to uh, coming to MetLife. Uh, this is a big showdown. So we'll see where it goes. So we'll move to my and 10. So first of the and 10, I think uh, this could have been my other kind of big uh, first thought. But Zach Wilson, um, I thought and I tweeted this out after the game, I, I thought there were reasons to be encouraged about Zach Wilson. And I think he showed signs of progress over 2022, but for every sign of progress and reason there is to be encouraged by his play, there was also reason to doubt that he could ever really be the guy or reason to believe that the Jets should put all of their stock or all their eggs into his basket for the remainder of the 23 season. You know, I think Sala and his presser is kind of treating Zach with kid gloves a bit. I think he he looked at it and said, you know, he played really well for the first three quarters. Uh, and it wasn't until we got down big and we're pressing that he, you know, threw the three picks. Well, the game's four quarters long and he still threw three picks. And, you know, one was, again, running to the sideline and he chose to throw it back across his body into traffic where he didn't see uh, the safety who made a pick. You know, I won't fault them too much for the deep shot down to Garrett. I like the fact that they took the shot. Again, the throw was not good. If he throws that on a line and puts some zip on it, it probably doesn't get picked, and it's probably a huge gain to Garrett Wilson. But those are mistakes that can't be made. The last one to Trevon Diggs, it just can't happen. I mean, whether you're you're trying, you know, you're trying too hard, you're forcing uh, down twenty points to make a comeback, it's, it, or, or the game is tied, you can't make that throw. And again, for the progress that he made, I thought, you know. I thought he looked more comfortable in the pocket, all things considered, with the pass rush. I thought that um, he his footwork looked better. He was able to step up and make throws, and I, I thought he used his feet better too. But for all that, to come back and still throw three fourth quarter interceptions that's that, that's just that can't happen, and that's the frustrating part about Zach Wilson. And I still I, I stand by my thought that I think it's the right thing for them to do to give Zach a shot. I think he gives you a better chance right now than bringing someone else totally new in, unless you're going to call a Tom Brady. Uh, but I, I think it's a big mistake continuing to ride this whole season out with Zach as your one and Tim Boyle as your two and not having someone available that allows you the flexibility of having a quick hook with Zach in case things go south, because history has shown us that things will go south. Moving off of Zach Wilson into number two, um, Will McDonald being inactive for this game really frustrated me. I can understand it to a point. They want to get Lawson in there. Maybe they want it to be beefier against a uh, a tough Dallas offense and a tough Dallas offensive line. My argument to that would be if your number one pick can't suit up on game days because your defensive line is too deep and the rotation is too big, then why are we taking a defensive lineman and an edge rusher in the first round? I really I hope that this can be – the last of that, I think that Will McDonald, regardless of um, what team we're playing, how beefy their offensive line is, is one of your best edge rushers and should be on the field. Um, that combined with I really don't think that Carl Lawson looked that great, and I don't know um, how much longer we're going to see him really getting meaningful snaps. Um, so I really – I just – I wasn't a fan of Will McDonald being uh, a healthy scratch for this game. I'm not a fan at all of any number one overall pick being uh, – I'm sorry, you know, first-round pick being 
a healthy scratch for any game. So I, I don't see what the coaching staff is really thinking there. And I, I don't really agree with it. So I would expect that to be honestly be the last time uh, that we see that happen. Number three, I, I can't go on this pod and, and kind of talk about uh, this game without at least mentioning NFL officiating. I think it's an absolute joke. I think year over year it continues to get worse. Um, and this, the, the cherry on top for this game is that JFM penalty, the roughing the, passer penalty. It always seems to be JFM, by the way, which is kind of insane, but I don't know what any official expects him to do in that scenario. Um, it wasn't a dirty hit. I didn't think it was below the knees. And to extend that drive uh, to allow Dallas the touchdown, just, you know, it was one of those plays that didn't totally change the game, but it definitely made it uh, a lot different for the Jets. And I just, I don't know uh, what they have to do to fix it. Maybe they make it reviewable. I don't know, but it's just uh, they got to put a stop to this because the NFL over and over, the officials have way too much say in uh, in every game. And I think you could point to a call or two in most NFL games every Sunday and Monday where you look at it and you shake your head because you really can't believe that that's a call that they would make. Number four, um, <clears throat> health. You know, the Jets went through uh, all of training camp uh, and most of the, you know, the summer uh, with a relatively healthy roster. And I think – the injuries have kind of crept up a little bit. Obviously, Aaron Rodgers being the big one in the first game, but coming out of uh, of the second game, you got injuries to Quincy Williams, uh, Michael Carter II, and Tony Adams. You know, the the Tony Adams being wrapped in bubble wrap for the entire summer is, is kind of crazy, but I think he's been solid through two games. I think he had a, a, a kind of a shaky first half against Buffalo, but he redeemed himself. I hope that he's healthy. Uh, the bigger two uh, of these, though, are Quincy Williams and, and Michael Carter II. I know that in his presser yesterday, Salah said that everything looked good with Quincy. Um, they just needed further uh, clarification on that just to be pretty much 100% certain. So I think his speed and the way that he's been playing um, these first two games, kind of being all over the field, is that's a big thing for this defense, and I think they need him. I think he's developed into a really nice player and a really nice piece on this defense, and uh, I don't know if you can really afford to lose him because I don't know if a guy like Jamie and Sherwood brings that same intensity and that same firepower that, that Quincy Williams does. The other one is Michael Carter the second. I think you can make an argument that he's, you know, top uh, slot corner in the league. And, you know, you saw Brandon Eccles kind of struggle, especially with that one pass interference call in Michael Carter the second's place. So, if MC2 is hurt uh for any period of time, it's gonna be it's gonna be tough on the defense to make up for that. And it'd be interesting to see kind of what they do um to maybe switch around their game plans to make up for that. Number five, the would-be sauce interception. Despite everything that went wrong in this game, I think if sauce makes that pick and I think it's a shoe-in for a pick six, we're looking at a different ball game right there. Uh at that point, I believe it was 10 to 7. Uh, Jets just hit the huge, uh, the huge touchdown to Garrett Wilson. If Sauce comes back and makes that pick on, he's got to have. I mean, I, I, you know, I'm not a betting man, but if he, he catches that ball and runs it back 99 times out of 100, so if he makes that play and the Jets go up 14-10 with momentum into the half, coming out and getting the ball in the third quarter, I I venture to guess that that game looks very differently. And and maybe they don't pull it out, but it's definitely not 30 to 10. So lesson learned, I think, uh, you know, Sauce, obviously he's got a good pair of hands. He does it. He's not going to get uh, as many interception chances like that because teams are going to shy away from throwing him the ball that way or throwing the ball his way. Uh, but when those opportunities come, he's got to be sure to capitalize on it. 
Number six, um, I spoke about it in the opening, but the defensive game plan um, and their stubbornness. The, the, the I want to go a little bit deeper on this because the the two things that really stood out to me were one was it didn't um, it, it didn't feel like they had a plan for Ceedee Lamb that was obvious, uh, but the other one was just their you know kind of gaze level stubbornness on sticking their corners you know on the right and left side and they don't move them. I thought with you know, Mike McCarthy had a, had a great plan. He was lining CD Lamb up in the CD Lamb up in the slot, time in and time out, and nobody was moving with him. And the guy was getting catches. He went for I think seven and one forty three on us. And I mentioned in the opening a couple of key back breaking third down conversions. So for them to be as stubborn as they were, um, to stick with what they were doing and not match up sauce on him, I just thought it was malpractice. I think you have to have that flexibility. Now I mentioned Gase level stubbornness. He was. Uh, famous for trying to stick a square peg in a round hole and not venturing far off course from what you're not deviating from, from what his plan was and what he wanted to do. I think historically this staff has shown the ability to look themselves in the mirror and self-reflect and, and correct um, where they have to. Now I will expect them to be able to show that flexibility in the future. And if, and when they face another top tier wide receiver, like a CD lamb, I think they'll show the ability to move sauce around and maybe match them up a little bit more one-on-one and kind of show that, uh, that defensive creativity that they need to, to, uh, to make things work on that side of the ball. Number seven um, overall, I just think this team has to win like they did in 2009 and 2010. I think specifically in 09, they really protected Mark Sanchez as best they could, and they didn't want him throwing the ball at all. I went and looked at the stats from the uh, 2009 season. That team ran the ball over 600 times, 607, and they only threw the ball 393. So you can see really what they did. And that was uh, that was Thomas Jones carrying the load. That was Sean Green for the most part because Leon Washington, as great as he was that the first part of that year, ended up uh, breaking his leg in that Oakland game. So Sean Green carried the load. I want to say Thomas Jones had over 400 carries that year. Sean Green had over 100. Um, that's the type of, of mentality that this offense has to have. And you can't abandon it so quickly if you get punched in the mouth. You have to stick with it. You have to continue to run behind the right side of the line. I think Mekhi Becton has been a very pleasant surprise thus far and really has been their best offensive lineman. So if you can continue to run the ball behind him and AVT, that's going to be your recipe for success. You cannot, I repeat, cannot have any more games where – Brees Hall and Dalvin Cook touch the ball four times a piece. That, that just, it can't happen. That is not a recipe for success. You are not going to win games in this league with Zach Wilson as your quarterback running the ball four times with Brees and four times with, uh, with Dalvin Cook. Moving along to number eight. Uh, I'll go to the offensive staff. And I think, uh, on this front, I think Joe and Connor, if you listen to Badlands, um, either last night or this morning, whenever that episode was released, Joe made a very good point about, you know, we all had doubts about this offensive staff pre Rogers, you know, the uh, Hackett uh, downing uh, Carter combo. And I think those are starting to resurface. So when you see, when you saw this game plan, the lack of creativity, the lack of uh, being able to find touches for guys like Brees Hall and Garrett Wilson, I think that raises those red flags again. So it's going to be very, and I, and again, I, I think I, I mentioned this earlier, Sala seemed to have some frustration come out in that Tuesday, uh, I'm sorry, Monday presser to where, you know, he kind of mentioned if I was Brees, yeah, I'd be frustrated only getting four touches. Like we can't, we can't continue to do that. So 
it's going to be very interesting to see um, how they course corrected, how they change their mentality uh, moving forward in these coming weeks. Because again, this, this having Zach Wilson drop back 30 times and only running the ball 10 times, not going to happen. Granted, you need more plays than that, obviously, to get into any sort of a rhythm. So that is on the defense as well. However, uh, this offensive staff needs to take a long, hard look in the mirror to see what they have to do to um, get their playmakers the ball. Next, number nine, uh, kind of goes along with number eight, but Miko Hardman um, getting very limited snaps, getting one catch for six yards in garbage time. I, I just, I really don't, don't understand it. I don't understand Randall Cobb um, getting time over him. I just, you know, Randall Cobb is going to be the guy where, you know, maybe sometime down the road this season, he's that savvy veteran that makes a, you know, a, a good third down catch, um, you know, late in the game to kind of seal a victory or, 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 you know, to move the chains, whatever, in a big spot. But, you know, for all intents and purposes, when you're looking to win games, and especially with a, a young quarterback that you still don't have full trust in, Miko Hardman has got to be a weapon that you're using and he's got to, you have to be able to find a way for him to get on the field. And I continue to say this, whether it's on quick screens, bubble screens, jet sweeps, like anything, he needs to be able to get on the field and you can't use him in that game breaking speed. If he's not there and he's not getting snaps and not getting the opportunity. So it, it just, um, it kind of baffles me that they're not able to get him on the field because you need that with, Teams are going to want Zach Wilson to go three, four yards at a time because the more plays that he's out there, the more chance it is that he's going to give them the ball, give the defense the ball, right? Like they just it's it's sheer numbers. Miko Hardman, along with Garrett Wilson and Brees Hall, has that game breaking ability where you get him a quick, you know, a quick throw on a you know, three yard slant, three yard screen, whatever. He can break it open to where you got a one play drive for 75 yards and a touchdown. You need guys like that on the field with Zach Wilson because that's how you're going to score points. That's how you're going to win games. If you are expecting to, you know, go six yard throws to, to Randall Cobb all the way down the field, you know, it's just not going to happen like that. So I really feel like a big, a big part of what the staff needs to do is find a way to get the playmakers the ball in that bubble has to be uh, getting Miko Harbin more meaningful snaps in uh, obviously a meaningful time in the game. And then lastly, with number 10, um, a look ahead to New England. This is, uh, this game, you know, we'll talk about it more when, when Zance and I are, uh, are together again, uh, tomorrow night, but this game scares the life out of me. You got New England 0 2, um, backed into a corner. They need this game. I mean, if you, if the Jets can beat them, their season is all but finished, but Belichick against Zach Wilson scares the life out of me. Um, I don't think New England is as good as either Buffalo or Dallas. I think that's very safe to say. Um, what scares me the most is that New England's defense is, is still good, and Matt Judon is still very good. And Belichick has a way of putting a game plan together to to beat Zach Wilson. And um, I thought in the first game last year, Zach looked uh, pretty good, especially early on. It wasn't until you know, the second half where things got really uh, out of hand and away from him and he started throwing the ball up for no reason. I, I hope he can course correct there, but um, it just doesn't leave me feeling good. I think the Jets have to come in with a solid game plan and a, and a way to control the ball on offense and really run the ball um, down their throats. And, and, you know, New England's offense doesn't scare me. Mac Jones doesn't scare me. Um, you know, the one weapon on offense that really does kind of put a little bit of fear in you as Ramon J. Stevenson, but I think the, the Jets defensive, uh, their, their run defense is good enough to be able to stop him. And none of their receivers nor tight ends really are, are anything to write home about, but 
the key in this game is going to be limiting how much Zach Wilson drops back and can hurt you from a mistake standpoint and how much they can run the ball uh, effectively with Brees Hall and Dalvin Cook. And that's really it. But the Jets have to rebound from this Dallas loss. They have to look at this as a way to, for all intents and purposes, put the nail in the coffin of a divisional opponent and a rival. They have to get this New England monkey off of their back and they have to figure out a way to beat a you know, subpar New England team at home um, on Sunday. So that that that's really it. This game, it will always scare the life out of me until they until it doesn't. Until Bill Belichick is gone, um, you know, it's it's just the way that it is as a Jets fan. I think I think probably most of you feel that same way. But uh, they got to figure a way out to uh, to win this game and to uh, get that New England monkey off of their back. So uh, that'll do it for me today. I appreciate all you guys that uh, listen. Hopefully, you enjoyed Week One and you enjoy Week Two. Um, as much as I did, it's kind of good just to get my thoughts out and, uh, and vent a little bit, especially after a loss like that. But uh, just a couple of quick notes. So obviously, if you haven't yet, uh, subscribe to Badlands on the Patreon. You got Joe and Connor there pumping out content like crazy. You got Dan with Buck the Trend, which is just fantastic. You got the new show, The Other Guys with Jake and Paul. And then uh, a bunch of written content from a, a lot of people, including Zance and myself. Um, you still have the TOJ podcast with uh, Will Parkinson. He continues to get great guests and pump out content. And then you got TOJ Live with uh, with me and Steve Zance. Um, and we will be back live tomorrow night. So Wednesday night, uh, we'll be live for another show. We'll get a little deeper into the uh, the Cowboys game conversation and then obviously our predictions for uh, the upcoming week three matchup against New England. But as always, uh, appreciate you guys tuning in. Appreciate you guys listening. Um, download the podcast, subscribe, rate, and review Apple, Spotify, um, Amazon, Amazon podcast. Yep. So um, appreciate you all and we will see you next time. Thanks again.